Hi, I'm Dr. Shana, and I'd like to wish you a warm welcome to the Mental Wellness Practice Podcast. We all have mental health, and this is a place for you to learn practical tips to support your mental well-being. In this season, we're talking to a variety of wellness experts about how their domain of wellness affects mental wellness. And today, I'm so grateful to be able to speak with Lindsay Bryant Pogman. She's a financial therapist, speaker, and author of The Financial Anxiety Solution. I'm so happy to chat with her. Lindsay, thank you for having have, having to, having joined us. I'm so used to being on your podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being here. Oh, my gosh. So is, yeah, we, we just had the tables turned a week ago. So it is nice to now be on the other side of things and be interviewed by you on this amazing show. Thank you so much for being here. I still feel like yes. I'm happy, but, you know, the coexisting is nice. Yeah, so it is. I am hoping you can tell us a little bit more about you. You know, how did you even become interested in financial well-being? Yeah, so I have a background in clinical social work, and my interest in personal finances came almost as soon as I graduated from grad school and got my first social work job. Like many people in the helping, healing, and nonprofit space, I got my first paycheck and realized very quickly that this was not going to be a sustainable choice for me. And I, on top of that, experienced a lot of embarrassment and guilt and shame because I had a layer of financial privilege that meant that I did not have student loan debt. And even without the burden of student loan debt, I was living very, very scrimply. I don't think that's a word. But I was living paycheck to paycheck. And I turned to the world of personal finance and did what a lot of us scrappy grad students are used to doing. I turned to the library and I checked out armfuls and armfuls of personal finance books. And they all basically told me, it's your fault. You spend too much on lattes. You're going shopping too much. You have to cut back on how expensive your cars are. And I just felt even worse than I did before because I had already done the things that they told me to do. I was shopping at, you know, Trader Joe's and all these. I was barely driving. I was not going out to eat. I wasn't shopping. I wasn't taking lavish vacations. And so on top of feeling like I already had this privilege, I then was met with, well, it's your fault that you're here. And I just felt like that was wrong in so many ways. And then professionally, I was sitting across from my clients who were struggling financially. And my training as a social worker basically told me to advocate for very short-term solutions for them. So I was very good at saying, let's call the energy company and advocate to make sure that your bill or your electricity doesn't get turned off or let's find some food banks for you so you can eat for the week but it didn't really equip me to talk to them in a meaningful way about how to find and resource themselves financially after that quick band-aid solution so i had this personal experience and i had this professional experience and i just felt like there was this huge missing piece in my practice and in my work and as you probably know being in the mental health care space get any training about money um and it, it so shocking to me, Shana, that we as mental health care professionals are trained on a variety of challenging things. We are trained to talk to our clients about really challenging things like abuse, neglect, self-harm, but I wasn't trained to talk to them about money. So fast forward, 
I started researching ways to integrate my interest in personal finances with mental health care. And I found the Financial Therapy Association and went on to get certified in three different things around the world of money and mental health. I got certified as a certified financial therapist. I got my certification in financial social work. And I just finished up my third certification as a professional facilitator through the trauma of money method. And so what that means is that I love being in the space of mental health care, and I now feel like I'm able to stay within my lane, but I'm also able to integrate how our personal finances affect our mental, social, psychological, um, and emotional well-being. So that's what I love to do. I love to talk about how money impacts those things without having to be a financial advisor or personal finance uh, um, I don't know why the other word eludes me, but (laughs) yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I think that I know I related when I was hearing you and I imagine the listeners too of, Mm. it's really interesting when anyone's having some sort of struggle with money, there is a lot of this loaded emotion, right? And now I take that on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. Like where are we supposed to talk about loaded emotions in counseling and therapy? Yes, right. the average counselor and therapist is told like money is a basic need, right? If we think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's like rudimentary, like we need money to survive. Yes, but no one ever tells you about how to handle that. So that big gap there, I love that you saw that and you went straight for it and trying to fill it. And I, I appreciate your work, your podcast, your book and helping mm-hmm. others fill that and helping us, you know, fill that today. Um I'm wondering then from where you stand now, and congratulations on your most recent credential, by the way, that sounds really good. How do you define financial well-being? To me, I think about financial well-being as going beyond just the financial literacy. As you just shared, in so much of the personal finance space, we talk about having a mastery of your numbers and the financial definitions. And that's fine and well, but to me, financial well-being means understanding your numbers, but it also means using your money in a way that is supportive of you now and supportive of you in the future. And that may mean having enough money to take care of having a monthly massage if you have chronic pain. It may mean pouring into community organizations that mean a lot to you. It may mean funding your future retirement so that you don't have to worry about working as you age. So to me, financial well-being means having enough money and having enough understanding of your money to be able to nurture the other aspects of your life outside of money itself. I think so often in the personal finance space, the goals are so dollar and cent based and they don't integrate our values. That, you know, it's so interesting because like, as you were summing up there, I was like, why do I feel so nice? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm listening to you define that. So I was like, oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, at least for me, money is often very like, well, and this is my bias, right? I work in mental health. There's no hiding it. Money is not like my area that excites me, you know, like mm. it's not the thing I didn't go into that realm. I have a lot of my own baggage with that, but I'm very, I'm very comfortable. I'm very grateful and privileged. So it's not like I'm in a bad space that I'm traumatized at present, but it's still, just is like, ugh. it feels yeah. almost boring and bland, just like numbers and crunching numbers do mm. to me. Right. 
No yeah. offense to everyone out there who like that's their right. bread and butter and they thrive off of that. I, I envy the ability to get excited about numbers. But with that being said, you added in such like an emotional loading to that that felt so like comforting and safe, which I think for a lot of people, mm -hmm. money just doesn't feel that way. And you hit on mm -hmm. some points that I was thinking about as you're exploring that I was thinking about, okay, well, what does wellness mean, right? Because that's what we're exploring mm -hmm. this season. And of course, what does mental wellness mean? And I hear some similarities between when you can achieve financial wellness and mental wellness. And mm -hmm. one, it's going beyond the literacy. There's a huge moment, movement, moment, maybe it's going to be a moment. I don't know. For <laughs> mental health literacy, there's this focus of right. like just knowing the basics, and mm -hmm. which is important. But I also think there's a difference between just being and thriving, right? Yeah. So it's one thing yeah. to have the skills to emotionally regulate. And it's also another skill set to not have to, you know, regulate yourself as the pendulum swings if possible, right? right? So that it sounds like that would be the same for financial well-being, right? Like if someone has that paycheck is mm -hmm. not spending that entire paycheck that first day that there is this big oscillation, just as an example. I also hear that wellness is not just in this moment. So it's something that mm. can be felt right now, but it's also sitting with like, where am I now? And where do I want to be? Right. Where do, mm -hmm. where can I be? How can I help myself? I hear that ladder component, which I always love of like, I'm here now and I'm happy and I can be here. There's like a self-efficacy component there, self-esteem and self-loving, which I obviously value of <laughs> want to get there. And it, what a beautiful avenue. So I really, mm. really appreciate that. Can you tell me about the link between, though, mental illness or mental mm -hmm. wellness, as I like to talk about it often, because it doesn't have to necessarily relate to the diagnosis, but mm -hmm. we are really anxious, money aside, mm -hmm. when we are struggling with depression, psychosis, et cetera, how does that affect our financial mm -hmm. well-being and how can investing in our financial well-being help us support our mental health? Oh my gosh, this is a great question and I will try to be succinct while also addressing some of those points. So first and foremost, our money and our mental health absolutely intersect. We know that Americans at the time of this recording are ranking their personal finances as the second highest thing that is stressing them out. So we know it impacts stress and we know the impacts of chronic stress on our physical and mental well-being. We also know that there is a bi-directional relationship between depression and debt. And a, an easier way to think of this is that people who have debt are more likely to have depression and people who have clinical depression are more likely to have debt. So we can see this two-way relationship between those two things. We also know that for people who have different types of mental health diagnoses, they may have different financial challenges than people who don't have those diagnoses. For example, there is something called the ADHD tax. So people who have ADHD may be more likely to buy things impulsively or purchase duplicates of things because they didn't realize that they already had that item. For example, um, they might buy a three-pack of water bottles and a week later all of them are gone, so they buy another three-pack only to find that original three-pack under their front seat of their car a week later, right? We also know that for people who have... Um, types of chronic mental illnesses, it may impact their earnings potential. They may be 
less likely to earn as much as their peers who are in similar fields than them. And we also know that depression is one of the leading causes of people leaving the workforce early, having to take FMLA, or not being able to go up for those types of promotions. So I won't go into all of the details of the different studies, but suffice it to say, it is not just me saying, oh, yeah, they're related. There is a lot of data to back this up. Um, could you repeat the second part of it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, and I value you trying to keep it succinct. And I have to say, like, gosh, can't this podcast be five hours long? <laughs> I know. You know, like, you have my articles out for you. <laughs> no, I mean, especially that ADHD tax, it makes so much sense to me mm -hmm. as a provider. And I'm like, wow, that's so important. Because again, thinking about that gap is, you know, I'm imagining the average listener doesn't know this. But I'm also saying mm -hmm. I'm in a field of mental health and like no one ever taught me to make that connection. Right. You know, right. Within that. So it's, it's eye opening. So first of all, thank you yeah. for that. Oh, the you're so welcome. The, <laughs> the other side of the question is literally the exact opposite, right? So if we mm -hmm. start to invest in, right, like I mentioned mm -hmm. that you keep giving me this visual of a ladder, like you're okay yeah. right now, the ground is stable, that's good. Mm -hmm. But do you want to go up this ladder, right? Like, can yeah. is there another plane that is better befitting for you and you'll be more well. And yeah. I think of like, okay, well, if people invest in their financial well-being, and I'm mm. being really particular here, I'm not saying invest in your savings, invest, right. invest I, I'm intentionally saying if we invest in our financial well-being, how does that affect our mental health? So the other direction. Yep. Got it. Okay. So when we think about our financial well-being, I so appreciate you saying that there are different starting points because most personal finance books, podcasts, blogs are going to tell you, you first need an emergency fund. Then you need to pay off credit card debt. Then you need to X, Y, and Z. And when we give people those very rigid boundaries, it can feel for some people very supportive. They like to have step one, step two, step three, but for other people, they may be going, mm, an emergency fund doesn't really sound where I want, like where I want to start, or paying down my debt feels really overwhelming. And what happens if we say you must do this thing first and it's not accessible to that person for a variety of reasons, a lot of people just opt out. So what I love to invite people to do to invest in their financial wellness, knowing that it will impact their mental health, is to first just do a general personal finance inventory. And that sounds really overwhelming and really gross, and I totally get it. I failed college algebra. Like, I'm not a numbers person. But we cannot make progress if we don't know where we are right now. So finding the safest, most non-judgmental space that you can to just maybe even journal. Maybe we're not even logging into your bank accounts, but just journal on, what is my relationship with money? Is it working for me? Do I want it to change? If I had a healthy relationship with money, what might that look like? And that type of emotional inventory before we even get to the numbers can help us to gain a better understanding of what we are how we are currently engaging with our money and how we might want to engage with our money. Then from there, you might be able to go, okay, I'm going to log into my bank account and see what's there. Or you might go, I'm going to look at how much I earn and how much I spend. Or, you know, I'm just going to look at my pay stub 
and start familiarizing myself with how much income I have, how much goes to social security, how much goes to taxes, right? It, it is collecting these data points without judgment and in as neutral of a space as we can to start moving toward our version of financial wellness. And then you can kind of choose your own adventure and pick a starting point that feels good to you. Maybe the very first starting point is to track your spending. Maybe the very first starting point is to read a book about negotiation so you can advocate for a raise at work. Maybe the very first step is to just start double checking how much your groceries are, right? There's no one right way. But what we do know is that when we have better, when we have a better relationship with money, we can imagine that that bi-directional relationship I mentioned earlier with depression and debt may start to shift in the other direction. And I think so many people only have a relationship with money that is based in fear, anxiety, overwhelm, judgment, that to just think about what would it look like to have a neutral relationship with money is, is the very first starting point. Oh, I love so many things that you said, <laughs> and I want to work backwards in a way. Sure. You mentioned that so many people have such a, you know, again, I'm thinking about the spectrum of wellness, right? Illness, you know, health, neutrality, and then wealth, mm -hmm. right? Right. And this is something that also exists in the mental health space, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens is many times if you look for like golden standard type things, reminds me of like what you were talking about, like when you realized you were in a position, you started to read all these books, it, it gives you this, um, again, gold, this golden standard, like it's something idyllic that feels mm -hmm. unattainable. And it is so generalized. You mentioned rigid that that can cause a lot of people to just stop in the process. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that, that sounds similar for financial wellness and mental wellness is there's almost this like procrastination avoidance mindset yep. of yep. that is so like, what do you mean? Like you mentioned the emergency account, like emergency account. Like I'm just trying to <laughs> somehow not live paycheck to pay. Like I have right. a walking emergency now. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that makes me think about two major topics I was hearing from you mm -hmm. earlier, but especially in this answer, when we think about like, how does investing in your financial wellness help you support your mental wellness and subjectivity and accessibility are glaring at me. And I think that's mm -hmm. something that when it comes to wellness, we are given a lot of standards a lot. Understandably yes. so, right? We want something. So, and some of us are drawn to standards. Like, tell me what is the best case scenario. But for many of us, that's also anxiety provoking, right? And it causes more mm -hmm. stress than not. And it ends up creating this big obstacle in our efficacy and our overall motivation and intention to do so. So right. seeing it as like my financial wellness might look so different from yours and that's not right or wrong, good or bad. It's just, mm -hmm. it is. If we can accept mm -hmm. a little bit more of this freedom within that of, you know, maybe I do need the, the, uh, for, I'm thinking about from like a self-love place. Like I would love to have the monthly massage. Right. So, and for some people there's physical needs that require that. Right. I think about a lot of people, therapy is a, a fund in and of itself. Right doesn't mm -hmm. mean that massages or therapy or funds for someone else and that means right. their wellness habits. So I love that. I really value your emphasis on accessibility. I think mm -hmm. that a lot of the shame for people, I know we talked last week on mm -hmm. your podcast, so I will link that in the show notes for folks to 
listen in because I shared a lot about my experience and sharing, even in yours, you were talking about your anxieties as well around mm -hmm. there's sometimes the shame around where your starting point is. And right. many of us were just born into a starting point. We're grateful mm -hmm. starting point can move, but a lot of times if we don't honor like the reality of that starting point, it can feel really discouraging when we compare it to this, again, that golden standard, whatever. Right. That That's so, so important. I love that you're making a space for emotions and finances and understanding mm -hmm. like they're there, right? So if you're going to work with someone for investing and someone, I just think about how often those conversations are not emotional and right. running into roadblocks and it's because we're not making space for it. And the last thing I have to highlight that you said, <laughs> I just stood back, I was like, okay. It was so freeing to hear you say you're not a numbers person. Oh my gosh, I no. loved hearing that. I think we need to emphasize that, right? Because I was saying earlier, here's where I stand. And it's because I am not a numbers person. Um, to hear you, I think there is this assumption that as someone mm -hmm. financial therapist, well, you must be a numbers person. You must love numbers. You must dream of numbers. <laughs> you are the one like counting sheep person that we hear about, right? Like it must be you. <sighs> I love that. I think unintentionally you're dispelling this like stereotype we have about someone who can be financially well, does not have to love numbers. I think right. that was such a moment. So thank you. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll expand on that a little bit too, because this, this is where nuance can hang out. I am not a numbers person. And yet I have to have, some sort of understanding of where my numbers are and where I want them to be in order to have a good relationship with money. And the way that I personally square not being a numbers person with looking at my personal finances is I use different apps and different calculators to run the numbers for me, right? So it's not just I'm like, oh, I don't like numbers, I don't look at them. It's <laughs> I don't love numbers. And thankfully, there are calculators out there for everything, the type of basic algebra that we need to manage our monthly income and expenses are things that we can do, if not on our fingers, definitely on our phones, calculator. So so it's, it's both, right? I like to use different apps, different calculators to help me get a better understanding of things. And I also don't shame myself for not being able to run those numbers in my head. I think it's so freeing because that and experience, first of all, we know in terms of mental wellness is, is helpful just mm -hmm. as it is. But I think about how we need to, and I use this a lot in my work in terms of self-love of where are our strengths and where are areas for growth. I hate calling them weaknesses right. because I think then it just becomes this like self doom cycle of like, right. right. So there's this avoidance and avoidance instead of here's a strength of mine. And how can I use that to first, like give a hand to this, you know, area that I know is not the best, but also I need to refine. I need to do something. Mm -hmm. I don't need to, you know, become a billionaire with my lack of not liking numbers. It's right. just, I need to be financially well. And again, that's why I'm making the distinction here. This isn't a podcast that I'm like, how to make your next million. It's, it's, right, right. it's essentially about financial plus. So sorry for anyone who thought that's where we were going today, yeah. but that is not where we're going. Um, yeah. You gave so many wonderful tips and reflection points that I think can be helpful for folks who are 
particularly intimidated and mm -hmm. want to jump into supporting their financial wellness. But I'm wondering if there's other things when I think about like self-care, like recognizing where you are and knowing mm -hmm. that like, I have this, I'm interested in financial wellness. I want to take those next steps. Are there some strategies that you would suggest for folks in that boat? <laughs> One, I mean, yes, I have, I have a lot of ideas. I, I think, again, going back to this, this inventory of where you're at financially can help you to craft your own financial self-care practice. I think self-care, I'll get to in a second, but I, I think a big thing with money is that it doesn't just exist with us. We live in a place where many of our interactions with friends, family, community members involve some sort of financial investment. If you wanna meet up with friends at brunch, you're going to be spending money. If you wanna go on a family vacation, you're going to be spending money. If you want to go to a community fundraiser, you're going to be spending money. So I also think one of the most important aspects of financial self-care is getting comfortable doing your own financial self-advocacy around other people. So it may look like the next time your friends are like, oh, you know, Shana, we wanna go to brunch this weekend. I'm using you as an example, cause you're right here. You could say, you know, I would love to get together, but brunch is a little bit out of my budget right now. Could we do coffee or tea instead? Or the next time your um, family says, hey, we wanna do a weekend getaway. You could say, that sounds great, but could we do a staycation instead? And the thing here that I think so many people are worried about is if I tell people, no, I can't do that, they will think that I don't want to participate. But what I find more often than not is that other people also have their financial constraints, but they're so anxious and worried about voicing them that having somebody else do it for them takes the pressure off and it can actually create this lovely bonding experience. I've had clients who have used some of this to kind of... Um, instead of a, a weekly friend date that was dinner and a movie, they took their weekly friend date and made it stream a movie and go for a walk. And that has become their new way of connecting with one another, of getting some physical wellness, of getting some spiritual wellness, like out in, in, in nature and also communicating with one another. And so I would just say before we Yes, talk about self-care. I think one of the big aspects with money is that for so much of our socialization, which we need for our mental wellness, it involves money. So if we can start to create some healthy boundaries there, that's one area that I would say, like, do a little check-in there. I am so glad that you are pausing us to address this first because it's the <laughs> realistic aspect of <sighs> finances, yeah. right? Like your finances are not siloed, right? Like you don't exist yes. in a bubble, likely. Yes. Unlikely, right? Um, so yeah. Because of that, I'm assuming that there's all these things. And I love how you kind of took us through the wellness wheel, right? Like here are mm. other dimensions of wellness that apply in yep. your life. So if you're going to do these things or not do these things, there is mm -hmm. a financial cost to that, right? Or there's likely yeah. a financial cost to that. I also love the specific examples that you offered. And mm. I'm thinking about, you know, my mental health, practice hat is on. And I'm thinking about like how often people don't want to talk about money and they're fearful of like what they'll say, what people will think they'll be judged mm -hmm. that it just becomes like, no, or like wishy-washy answers and all of this, instead of just talking about and kind of owning what I hear as their financial personal boundary 
that then influences their financial interpersonal or social boundary. And that boundary mm -hmm. setting is actually helping facilitation. Oh, like, thank you. I, I'm just thinking about in times that that has happened for me, especially when I'm the recipient, I'm grateful to hear like, thank you for telling me. And I hear that mm -hmm. you want to spend time, that you want to bond. It's not against me. It's where you're at right now. How can I help? Oh yeah, absolutely. We can do coffee instead. Can I also mm -hmm. cover, you know, there's just a bunch of different, you know, avenues there, but I just love that information aspect and that the bond can still be there. I think a lot of times people feel like I have to miss out. Right. And then there's mm. the whole homo concept there, but like I have yeah. to miss out. So my finances will hold me from opportunities and connections and bonds. And I love that you're dispelling that. Essentially, what I heard from you is that we have to design healthy boundaries, which I'm all about for ourselves personally and in our relationships before practicing that practical self-care. And I really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, of course. And, and so for the, the practical self-care, I actually recorded a video earlier this year with 37 different ways to practice financial self-care. So I won't go through all of them, but I'll, I'll send you the link so your listeners can watch it. Yeah. But I'll, I'll share with you a personal financial self-love and self-love practice that I've been doing for literally a decade. And it touches so many different domains because just as you said, our finances don't exist in a silo and this particular financial wellness practice also is good for like my nervous system regulation. Um, so almost every Thursday for a decade, I have had a self-date where I make my favorite snack, which is popcorn, also very cheap. <laughs> and I usually pour myself like a nice sparkling water. I get on my couch. And I binge two or three of my favorite reality television shows and kind of like catch up for the week. And it is something that is truly kind of like sacred to me. And I know that sounds wild, but like my friends know Thursday night, if they invite me out, there's a good chance I'm going to say like, no, I have, I have a date with myself. And I don't always do that. I would say that's like 90% of the time. Maybe 5% of the time, I'll take myself on a date out on the town. There is a local theater here that I love, and it's about a mile from my house. So, like, on certain nights, I might walk and go take myself to a movie. And then the other 5% of the time, I might, like, break it and, and, you know, go out with my friends or go out with my partner. But that has been a practice for me that is so ritualistic at this point and so second nature for me. And having that protected space on my calendar is, like such a gift in so, so many ways. So that's my personal self-love practice that is rarely, rarely touched. I love that you're giving us a personal example first, because I think I know, at least for me, many times when I'm talking to people about self-care, there's the tendency to try to give something so generalizable, right? Something right. really broad. Right. So I love that you're jumping in with your truth first. And I also yeah. love some of the really healthy things about self-care that I'm hearing in your practice. I heard mm. routine not yep. rigid, right? So like, yes, yes. The time it looks like this, but it doesn't have to be that. And I love that you pose it with like, I do this self-love day and I'm hearing it, right? I'm thinking, yeah, you know, Thursdays for 10 yep. years. Yep. And I'm like, yep. oh my God, she's about to say she does something that like, we're not going to be able to hit that mark, right? She's going, 
she's taking herself out to dinner and doing a massage and a shopping spree every Thursday, right? Like, nope. Nope. This is very, <laughs> no, this is very, very lowbrow. And I love that you said that because I think too often you and I are very much on the same page here. Too often when we talk about self-love, when we talk about self-care, we think of these like grandiose, very expensive retreat style actions. And what you and I know both the research shows and in lived practice is that routine and consistency is going to outweigh the big grandiose spa getaways every single time. Every Absolutely. single time, right? Absolutely. And it's so funny because as I was hearing you embracing for what you're going to say, part of me is like, there's no way, right? Like I know she knows that there's no way, but I think it's because we're programmed by society to hear self-love date. It's one of the activities in the self-love workbook mm -hmm. that if mm -hmm. we hear it and we're like, oh, that in order to be a date, it has to be this lavish thing. And don't get me wrong, especially someone who loves massages, that does feel very self-loving. But when we're trying to yes. do something that's routine, we're trying to do something for our financial wellness in addition to our mental wellness, there's these simple things for us that bring us joy. As someone who also loves reality TV, I totally get it, right? So it's like yes. things that you yes. may not see. And I think a lot of times we're looking at these high bar things. Um, mm -hmm. Like, oh, I have to earn enough to be able to splurge on Thursday. And it's like, oh my gosh, you're just talking about something that you probably don't even have to purchase every Thursday, right? You're already paying for no. the streaming services. You probably mm -hmm. already popcorn in bulk, right? So it's you not know it. I got my popcorn in bulk from a local pharma like two <laughs> I mean it's like four dollars and that feeds me for like four months. <laughs> so it's like you're not and I think about that a lot. Not only does it not have to be a lavish thing, but a lot of our routine self-care is not even an incremental cost. It, we're actually yes. following yes. through with something we already purchased or said we would use. So thank you for that. Okay. You're so, so then, welcome you know, just tying it up with just what are some other self-care tips? Yeah. So other financial self-care tips, I mentioned talking to friends about it, but if you are in a romantic partnership, I think having a fight, I call them money dates. And a lot of people in the personal finance community call them money dates, but just having something regular on your schedule, where you can talk about where you're at right now. Is it working? Do you need to tweak things, change things? What are some of your goals for the future? It can really help to develop and deepen intimacy. We know that the leading cause of divorce and separation, depending on the year and depending on the study you're looking at, is usually arguments over money and or infidelity. Those are the number one and two spots. So if we can actually talk about it, we can increase our intimacy and hopefully prevent some of those things from happening if, you know, we want, if our relationship is in a healthy enough place. Other things for financial self-care, I think having a dream of where you want to be short-term, medium-term, and long-term can help you create your own financial wellness roadmap. So where you want to be in one year in relation to your money, where you want to be in five years, and where you want to be in 10 years, that can help you kind of, to use your word earlier, work backward on what is most important right now financially and what might be more important in the future. Other financial self-care practices, um, 
can be like if you're a competitive person, you can kind of challenge yourself temporarily to do things differently. So maybe do seven days of no spend outside of, you know, your, your basics and just notice what happens or trying like a 30 day no shopping uh, challenge, getting your friends involved, potentially bringing it to HR and doing it at work. That doesn't work for everybody. Some people find those things to be far too restrictive. So always listen to your body, listen to your brain and omit things that don't work for you. But those are just some other examples of ways to practice financial self-care. Thank you for that variety. And again, I'm hearing that subjectivity that I think is so freeing throughout our entire conversation is, you know, it's different from person to person. Uh, It takes me back to also when we're talking about strengths and areas for growth, use what your strengths are to decide what you're growing in terms of your financial well-being, right? You mentioned like, if you see that it's a strength that you're competitive, then how can you set a little challenge for yourself, right? And maybe it's not even strength, it's just reality. Like who's in your right. life, who's in your support system, who do you feel comfortable talking to? So it may be friends, it may be a partner, maybe family, whomever that is. And I think something that I'm hearing too, that I wanna make sure we have the bridge for, we may not think about talking about finances and financial stress in counseling and therapy, but there's absolutely space for that there. So if you don't have Mm -hmm. that, bring it into your counseling sessions. Yeah. And and what I'll say there, as you bring it into your counseling sessions is to be really gentle with yourself and also know that not all counselors will have the capacity to hold space for it. And I don't say that to judge, like we all as therapists and mental health care providers have our areas of expertise and as you know, Shane and I have been talking today, we did not get trained on this. So if you bring up to your therapist or to your counselor, hey, I'm, I'm struggling in this particular area of my life, they may say to you, I hear you and here's a referral. It has nothing to do with you as a client. It has everything to do with them saying that's a little bit outside of my scope. Um, just like if you brought up to them, hey, I, I really want to spend more time talking about my sex life or talking about my life, challenging to transition into this idea identity as a parent. They can say to you, oh, I hear you. I hold space for you. And here's a colleague of mine who's really adept at helping in the area. And just be prepared that they may offer you a referral. And that's totally fine too. You're not doing anything weird or wrong by bringing it up in the therapy space. Thank you so much for normalizing that. And you've mentioned such wonderful resources. I appreciate your time. I'm going to link. I'm so intrigued about the video that you mentioned about self-care travel. Yes. I'm going to link yes. in the episode that I was so lucky to be hosted by you last week. Yes. So we're going to um, link that in as well. But also I know folks will probably want to learn about you. So where can they find you? Of course. So my business is called Mind Money Balance. That's M-I-N-D. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, my website, my podcast, my book. Shana and I share a publisher. is called The Financial Anxiety Solution. You can buy it wherever books are sold. And if you're curious about learning about your own financial strengths and challenges, I have a free quiz available on my website at mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz that will take you through the different financial archetypes and help you see which of the four you might be landing in to help you kind of shine a light on the things you're doing well and the things you might need a little TLC in. Thank you so much for offering us a wealth of resources. Pun <laughs> intended, yes. <laughs> I love it. We are so grateful for your time. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much.